This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, free agency is just eight days away. This week, in our free agency preview, we return to the defense and take a look at both interior defensive line and edge rushers. And with me this week, to tell you why Timo Werner is useless, it's David Newman. Look, man, at some point, you got to put the ball in the back of the net. That's all I'm saying. Timo Werner, uh, I think uh, it's Werner, although like the W and the Werner, you know, we're, we're going to mispronounce it on person on on purpose here because it's part of the brand. But watching this game, and the head coach of Chelsea, because you know this is a Chelsea football club podcast now. Yeah, sorry uh, if you guys missed the memo. Um, we're talking about a different kind of football now. It's yeah, fo- football is life. Football is, is the life. new the new name of the pod. And Timo Werner is over here. Tuchel, head coach of Chelsea, is yelling at Werner. To basically stop playing on the left and go to the side he's supposed to be on, which is the right. This is the equivalent of the one offensive lineman going <laughs> left on an offensive zone that's going to the right. You know he's the only one going the wrong way. And it's pretty easy as to why the play gets fucked up. This is Timo Werner. It, it does make it hard. I mean, it's not a great look for my guy there. Not, not a great look. Um, you want to root for him? I mean, like, look, he's a young dude. He's he's pretty talented. He like he seems to work hard, right? He's like you like want him to figure this out and and get better. But at some point, like my guy, you're just like not not it. So what you're saying is it's it's okay to like the player, but that doesn't mean you have to pay him a lot of money to play him. He's the Kyle Juszczyk of Chelsea football. Wow, I mean harsh, but you know I don't have a strong argument against it right now. (laughs) I I don't. So despite the fact that there, it was a good week for Chelsea, uh, beating Everton, getting in the top four, playing for the Champions League now, two years in a row, that wasn't the most impressive thing uh, I saw and or experienced this week uh, via media. Have you listened to uh, Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars, the Silk Sonic collaboration they're doing? No, I have not. Good Lord, it is good. It is some good, good stuff. Uh, between that and Corey Wong, who... I really do enjoy Corey Wong, but it does get a little too, um, I don't know. A buddy of mine told me that it seems like when he listens to Corey Wong, a buddy cop movie could break out at any time. It's a little bit like that. Um, Corey Wong's a lead guitarist for Wolfpack, has a solo project, Corey and the Wong Notes, which is a phenomenal name, by the way. Um, Haven't talked a bit about music or haven't talked about music in a bit on the pod. Two things I've been really into recently, Corey and the Wong Notes and, uh, and the new Silk Sonic, both very, very good. I have nothing to add to that. I mean, I, I'll, I'm going to have to check. I don't listen to a lot of music these days. So, yeah, it's just not not a thing. Just wait. We'll, right we'll get there. We'll be able to listen to the Wiggles together. I'm sure we're going to have some kind of music that we'll play for our daughters that's going to annoy the hell out of us. Uh, I walked. I took out the trash the other day, and I came back in the house, and all of a sudden Frozen in Spanish was playing on my TV. I was like, okay. Wow. We're, we're, right. we're there. This, all right. Let's do it. What we're doing now. Okay. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, this is going to be the final episode in our free agency preview. And so we're going to talk about the defensive line, the heartbeat of the team, the thing that wins championships, the reason that John Lynch gets up in the morning, the defensive line. We're going to have an entire episode on edge defenders as well as interior defenders. And at the end, we're also going to tell you what we would do if we were general managers for a day in free agency, not just overall, because, you know, we might blow some things up, but, you know, we just like to watch it burn. In this case, we're going to talk just about what we would do with a free agency plan. A quick reminder, this is the third of three episodes. If you haven't listened to the other two, definitely go back and listen to those. But 
quick primer this season. Our free agency preview is going to look at what the Niners should do with their own players and put those players in the context of the broader market. And if we think they need to look outside the org, we'll look at the type of player they should target. And most of those players are going to be mid-tier options or bargain bin options. Uh, when we try to find value at these positions, well, the lessons of Shaq Barrett will loom large from a couple of years ago. And especially with edge rushers, I think you might get who we think might be this year's Shaq Barrett. We're going to be looking at production, athleticism, and scheme fit and try to find some value. Before we get into edge and interior defensive line, let's take just a brief sojourn into the state of the 49ers salary cap. Because over the cap has the 49ers at $23 million in cap space, which is not bad. Not bad at all, actually, especially compared to their NFC West rivals. But there's only a couple of places for the Niners to make some real inroads in getting some additional cap space. And you've heard these names before. The only problem is that cash may not be available for free agency. Yeah, so I mean, you look at the 23 million that they have, right? And I think that's not a terrible position to be in considering just like the the, the depressed market overall. And, and a lot of teams are finding themselves um, with with not a lot of casters. I, I think that number as things currently stand is actually like a top 10 number in terms of cap space. But um, again, as we've kind of talked about through the previous you know uh, episodes, they have a lot to do with that space. They have a lot of spots to fill. They have a, a ton of pending free agents. And so, uh, and, and obviously a few of those are going to be um, pretty important spots that could command a lot of money. And so the, the 23 million, I don't know, is necessarily a, a great spot to be in. You know, you would like to have more to be able to fill all of that. But when you look at, at kind of their roster and, and potentially the, the spots that they could look to to kind of create a little bit more room to make some of these um, holes that they need to fill a little bit easier to do through free agency, at least getting some some veteran support in some of those spots. Um, you know, I think the the obvious one is D Ford. D Ford is kind of where you have to start. Um, he has right now the second highest cap number on the team behind Jimmy Garoppolo um, at just over $20 million. So there, there is, I will say probably what a, I'm going to, is, is it a non-zero chance? I'm going to say a 0% chance that he goes into this season making that money. Yeah, I would say it's, it's close to zero. The, the, the key thing here is whether or not he is able to pass a physical because on April 1st, 11.6 million of his salary becomes basically partially guaranteed for injury. And, and right now, if the Niners, if he can pass a physical and the Niners designate him as a post June 1st cut, then they save a fair bit of money because the, the post June 1st cut in this case, it doesn't mean that you absolve yourself of some of the cap implications. What it means is that really you can kick the cap implications into next year, which given the state of the cap is, is great. You basically kick the penalty into the year where you may not be affected by COVID. And so that's what the Niners would likely do. The only problem with this is, and David said this when we were prepping for the pod, which I was like, oh, that's kind of shitty. You don't actually see that money until June 1st. So you designate the player a June 1st cut. The player actually gets released and is able to go sign with a new team before June 1st. This is really a concession to the veteran. But the Niners wouldn't see that cap dollar savings until June 1st, which is way after the wave or two or three of free agency and the draft. At this point, you, like there's no one really available that you would want unless you create some kind of like, you know, backdoor deal or something with that player, which which seems unlikely if someone else is throwing money at them. So while, yes, it is an option and it saves you a bunch of money, it, it really doesn't give you a bunch of flexibility in terms of your free agency resources, which is what really the Niners need. Right. And and I think the other thing that you could look at, at them potentially doing that I don't think would be a surprise at all, right, is is just looking to restructure that deal to free up some of that money, um, you know, from take that $20 million cap number down pretty considerably. I mean, just looking at the, you know, the calculator that they have on over the cap, just kind of using their default restructure. So obviously, yeah, how much they can free up and all that is going to depend on the, the specific terms of that restructure. But you mean, it seems reasonable that they could probably free up about nine, ten million dollars um, doing that off of this year's there's cap number. So 
that would be uh, immensely helpful. And then I think the the next name that you see um, that just stands out in terms of his cap figure is Weston Richburg, right? He has um, actually the fourth highest cap figure this season as things currently stand at it, it, uh, about $11.5 million. Again, um, I think almost a 0% chance that he stays on the roster making that number um, this season. And so... I think those are the two places where you could potentially, I mean, I think you have a lot of the same sort of options with Richburg, right? The penalty, I, I think, is a little bit less if you just outright cut him before yeah, he's a, about a $7 million dead money hit, but about a $4.5 million savings. So you're really like you know, the, the net loss there is $2.5 million, which in this kind of cap-strapped environment, $2.5 maybe the difference between, I don't know, your backup interior defensive lineman and not being able to have one. So it's not insignificant, but it is yeah. much more palatable than having a, a you know a much bigger cap hit with with someone like D Ford who if he gets released outright would be a, a 15 million dollar hit which is basically all of the money that you have available. Yeah. So yeah, I think um you know when you, when you look at those two guys, those are the ones that that certainly stand out are as players who um we can probably expect something to happen with them to free up some additional space because beyond that you know there there are maybe a few guys that that are candidates to be um cut or i don't even know that restructuring would do much because the salary is are is already so low but they could probably free up you know another few million if they needed to um by getting rid of some players who are down a little bit lower on on that cap number list um but but i think all told yeah you you can probably expect them to make some moves to get somewhere in like that mid to upper $30 million range of space. I think that is going to probably be where they land as far as like workable space heading into this off season. Um, and then, you know, from there again, they, they've got a lot of work to do to kind of maximize that space. And, and that's important because as we move into the defensive lineman and we talk about what the Niners really need, th this is an area, especially at edge where there's some available talent out there that you can go get if you've got dollars to go get them. And the Niners are very clear that the, that the defensive line is the foundation of their team. When when we had Matt Barrows on, he talked about how, you know, when when Lynch and Shanahan got together, the first thing they said to each other was, okay, how do you decide, how do you build your team? What do you think is the most important? Well, and they both said, you got to find your quarterback, duh. And then you build your defense through the defensive line, which seems like a very interesting thing for Shanahan to say. There may be some kind of like revisionist, as I remember it, history there. But <laughs> But that's that's what they said, and that's what they agreed upon. And even if if you think that that's a bit of revisionist history, how they've built this team very much speaks to that. And that's one of the things that is really a core tenant of what the Niners truly believe in their or in their roster building philosophy. They are going to pay up for sure things at defensive line. They are going to draft those positions with premium draft picks. You've got Bosa and Solomon Thomas. I mean, this is the foundation and the heartbeat of that team. I joked a bit at, at the top of the episode, but it's really true. Like, this is how they yeah. operate. This is what they do. And, and they've got a lot of free agents on their defensive line. While it has been a strength of the team, they do have to replenish these players a little bit. Um, you know, all, all that to say, what's interesting, though, is that despite the fact that they do have to replenish the, the players at this position, last year, their defensive line with an army of backups kind of had a decent enough pass rush. It, it wasn't it, the strength of the team like it was in 2019. It, you know, it wasn't a world beater by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't an outright deficiency, despite the fact that they were signing people off the street and playing them seemingly from one weekend to the next. Yeah, I, I think when you look at, you know, um, as we're, again, on this final episode, we I think... Are, are very aware of what the, the top needs of this team are, right? And I think it, it's clear that they're going to need some help along the offensive line. They really only have uh, two guys in place now that I think you're counting on as starters or surefire starters going into next year. Um, they are going to need bodies at cornerback. Um, they basically have zero cornerbacks left, and, and so they're just going to need to get an influx of guys in at that spot. And then, yeah, there's no question that they need some additional defensive linemen but when you kind of look at all of those, right, and, and again, we're talking about, um, even in a best case scenario, relatively limited cap space to work with this year, 
D-line doesn't really look like the spot to spend a lot of that, even though we know the team's philosophy, right, of of building through the, the defensive line and, and we know how much they're going to want to devote resources to that spot. You do have to remember that, like, you have Nick Bosa still coming back from injury. There's no reason at this point to believe, um, you know, that that he's not going to be 100% healthy and available for you at the start of the season right now. Um, you still have Eric Armstead there. You still have Javon Kinlaw, who you just spent a first-round pick on. Um, you know, and, and then from there, yeah, things start to get a little dicier. Obviously, D Ford, his availability, his um, just stance with the team in general and whether he's going to, to kind of remain on the team going into next season, like, Yes, things start to fall apart a little bit after that, but you don't have that same sort of like core at those other positions, right? Like you can piece together some guys, you know, if they, if they were able to piece it together last year well enough with just Armstead out there, um, you know, they, they can piece it together around, I think, those three players um, and and figure out something that, that still works and gets the job done there. So I, I think they would be better served looking at bargain options and and some of the lower cost options along the defensive line. Well, that all being said, I think what does the market look like, especially for edge? Because we're going to talk about edge or speed rusher here first, because that's probably a bit of a priority, especially if you're cutting someone like D Ford. Um, There seems to be a lot of players that could command some serious money, not necessarily because they are fantastically great, but because that's really a position that generally commands a lot of money. When you're looking at names like Shaq Barrett, J.J. Watt got paid already, Yannick Ngakwe, Bud Dupree, Carl Lawson, these are players that are all in that kind of, you know, $14 million a year or more because of the position they play and the skill that they bring. It would have been great to have gotten Shaq Barrett a couple years ago, but now he's getting the $14, $15, 16000000 million that he deserve, deserves. But I'm, I'm curious if because of the cap-strapped environment and you've got this kind of I mean, $23 million being a top 10 available cap money area, like that's that's just wild. Because what, yeah. what it means is you've got the New York Jets and the Jacksonville Jaguars of the world up at the very top that are just flush with cash. And then you've got basically people that still have to cut people in order to get under the cap and, and really a really thin middle. It's not a lot. There's not a lot of money to throw around to those mid-tier, uh, those mid-tier players. And so if there is not a lot of movement for these mid-tier players or someone doesn't kind of get the big dollars they think they could get if they're, if this were a more cap-available year, they might take a one-year deal at a relative bargain on maybe a good team or a team they think they will be good. Um, and so I think there may be some value to be had in this area as long as you play your cards right. As long as you don't overpay for sacks or overpay for the name, or pay money for, I don't know, Ziggy Ansah. Um, like th- that's how I think you may be able to squeeze some value out of this position if you don't, yeah. if you play your cards right, but you have to pick your shot and you have to pick it well. Yeah, I, I do think the the thing in their favor for sure, especially at Edge, is that there do seem to be, there does seem to be like an abundance of quality players, right? It's not all, there's definitely like some impact guys, you know, at the top, um, that, that will find a way to get their money kind of no matter what. Um, but then beyond that, I think it, it, there's a lot of depth in the free agent mark at edge. And so I think, yeah, because of the, the market being what it is, um, it, it is unlikely that all of those guys are going to find a way to get paid. And, and so I think it, for the 49ers, it, it depends a lot on what we're talking about with that bargain, right? Like, because in, in a lot of ways, a longer-term deal, a multi-year deal, almost works out in their favor because they can structure it in a way that they they really put a low cap hit in this year one. They can spread out the bonus, obviously, and then they can push some of the bigger cap hits um, to kind of later in that deal when you're expecting you know the cap overall to kind of rebound and, and you to have more available space. And so I think that's going to be, I think, a tactic that we see a lot from them this offseason, right? Is like the guys that they choose to resign, anybody that they are, you know, looking at Fred Warner giving an extension, like that's going to be a trade of a lot of those contracts. When you get to uh somebody, you know, say like in in this edge class here that was wanting to get a multi-year deal, you know, paid, you know, toward a higher end of the market or whatever, and, and he's just not finding that. And so he wants to take that one year deal, a lot of times what you're getting that is like, Okay, maybe it was a guy that was expecting to get 15, 16 million per year. 
didn't find it. So I'm going to take my one-year deal, but it's going to be like a fully guaranteed one-year, eight, million nine, ten million dollars, yeah. right? Which you're going to have to, because it's a one-year deal, pay all of that right now. And so I don't know that that's a great scenario for the 49ers with with what they're trying to get accomplished this offseason. Yeah, and, and that's why when I look at the available names here, you know, I think you think of the some people that we know, the Kerry Hiders of the world. We, we've talked a bit about Kerry Hyder over the course of last season, but I think quickly our, our thoughts on Kerry Hyder is that he's a good rotational piece, but someone's going to overpay for sacks, and that's the number one thing you shouldn't do when it comes to an edge rusher. And, and Kerry Hyder on a per-snap basis has not produced... Uh, and, and actually played as well as his sack numbers would indicate. So he's someone that you should not go out and pay some money for. If anything, you hope he can actually get you a compensatory pick because someone's going to go out and pay him. But you look at like the Ronald Blairs, Deion Jordan, Jordan Willis. I think you prioritize maybe Ronald Blair and Deion Jordan and Jordan Willis. I think I would pr- probably prioritize Willis over Jordan just because of his athletic profile. Yeah. But those are all guys that you can have they're, they're, I don't know that they're going to be in high demand right now. I think the Niners yep. could if they wanted to re-sign them. If you're going to bring in some juice from the outside, to me, the person that I kind of circled as I was doing some research and watching some tapies is Hassan Reddick. <laughs> I, look, we have children. Everything is ease, all right? They're, they're, <laughs> they're leggies. You're not just kicking yeah. your legs. You're kicking your leggies, right? I'm watching some tapies. Uh, everything is a diminutive. She's uh, taking a bite of my fingies. Yeah. Yep. Oh, see, we use finners. We say, Finner. oh, finners. Mm, yeah, no, we use fingies. finners. Not, yeah, yeah. Apparently, G's are difficult for maybe just me. Um, but but yeah, uh, Has- Hassan Reddick. Like, that's the guy. Because Hassan Reddick, when we think about getting some value out of a player, he he might be this year's Shaq Barrett. He was miscast as an off-ball linebacker in Arizona. He was a, a really productive edge rusher in college. And, and then, he, you know, he gets to the NFL and they're like, Oh, here, let's have you do things that you didn't do well in college. He doesn't proceed to do them well in the NFL. And and now the Niners, or the Niners, Jesus, the Cardinals have added J.J. Watt, which means the Cardinals might be moving on from someone like Reddick. He might be moving on to getting a deal somewhere out there. That team could be the 49ers. He's going to be pricey. You would have to do something with Ford, and you would have to do something with Richburg in order to even create space. But he's a player, I think, that you could sign for a you know three, four, five year deal because he's young enough. He's twenty six yep. and a half, right? So you're you're gonna get him signed to his year 30, 31 season, and and he is the speed profile that this team likes. And you you might get teams that are scared off from his early season production. They're not sure. I mean, it is a bit of a swing. It is a bit of a risk. But based on you know what what we've seen in terms of you know what are the things that predict production as an edge rusher, he kind of ticks a lot of the boxes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think if the if it ends up being a situation where um, you know, and, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but like um, you know, say you just you can't get Trent Williams back. Say he he ends up going to a team that's just willing to pay a hell of a lot more money than than the 49ers are, and, and so you're now in a situation where a lot of that cap space that you had kind of earmarked for this one player in, in this one important position is now freed up and they decide, okay, we're going to kind of, uh, you know, figure it out on the offensive line with more bargain places. And we're going to, you know, invest in a higher priced edge rusher to me. Yeah. He's absolutely the guy they should be be looking at. He is, um, you know, still pretty young. He's 26 right now. And yeah, when he has had the opportunity to line up on the edge and rush the passer, um, he he's done very very well. When you look at this kind of free agent crop um, of guys, you have uh, I got 19 guys here that have at least 100 snaps rushing off the edge. And if you remember when we talked about offensive line, we talked about true pass sets, which are just kind of like a way to filter down into the pass snaps that um, are actually like drop back passes. You're getting rid of stuff like screens. You're getting rid of play action. You're getting rid of movement passes, like designed rollouts, stuff like that. And so all of those things, um, for the same reasons that we talked about with offensive linemen and why those aren't really great snaps to, to really evaluate them in their pass protection abilities, the same applies for, you know, defensive players in their pass rushing ability. So when you strip a lot of that stuff out, Hassan Reddick is over the last two seasons, the second, or excuse me, the third highest graded player behind is Shaq Barrett and Carl Lawson um, rushing from the edge in those situations. And so 
Um, there's there's no question that when he's been given those opportunities to just be a true every down pass rusher and, and line up on the outside there, he's made the most of those. Um, you know, and, and so I think, yeah, he's a guy that absolutely you'd be looking at to come in. We know that he doesn't have to be, you know, relied on to be the number one rusher. You're going to have Bosa, you're going to have Armstead, um, you're going to have some of those other guys that they've got in there. And, and so he's going to be in a, a pretty ideal situation to get a lot of one-on-one matchups on the outside. No one else in this group really excites me. You think of yeah. Tack McKinley, who's another young pass rusher. He was a Niner for a hot minute until he failed a physical. I don't know the Niners. They might go back to that well, but it's not a well, even when it happened, that was exciting. Like that, that was a bit of a desperation play. Yep. Um, you've got Carlos Dunlap, who is, you know, 32. He was not, he's not resigned by the Seattle Seahawks. So, you know, you've got that Seattle, the 49ers connection, which, you know, but again, he's not, he didn't have a super fantastic year. He looked good in Seattle because they didn't have a pass rush. So if you squeak through any kind of pass rushing ability, then yeah, along a bad defensive line, you're, you're going to look great. The, the only other player I think in this group, or there are really two that like, if you're going to take a swing, take a swing. One is, is Melvin Ingram, but that's going to be that kind of short term, maybe nine, $10 million player. If you can swing it, the other is Romeo Okwara, Detroit pass rusher who has, this is one of those guys where if you're going to take a swing, maybe this is where you take it. He's got a solid athletic profile, but he's largely been an average pass rusher. Um, maybe even below average pass rusher <laughs> throughout his career. And we talk about Akella Witherspoon like having a thousand snaps of like not great production. Don't be fooled by the back half of this season where he looked good. Well, like Romeo Okwara is the Akella Witherspoon of pass rushing, basically. He's had a lot of not great games. He's got over a thousand snaps of not good production. But this season, especially in the back half of the season from like week seven on, he's had some really, really good pass rush snaps. And so if if you're kind of swinging for upside and you have maybe $5 million to burn, you know, that's maybe a guy that you go after. But none of these guys are super exciting. So like if you can't get a Hassan Reddick and you were able to scotch tape a defensive line together last season, I think you might be able to do the same this year. Yeah, I, I think with with Aquar, yeah, he's certainly like with him, the the actual value of the contract matters a lot, right? Because that swing, like kind of like we talked about, um, you know, back when Jason Verrett was first signed and, and, you know, for different reasons, obviously, but it was like Verrett, it, you know, it's a great move when it's super cheap and you're taking a swing. And and if he doesn't even play a down for you, whatever, there's no downside. You didn't lose anything by taking that chance. Right. You have to make sure that with Aquara, the the contract value is such that that's kind of largely true as well, where if he comes in and reverts to the the you know kind of average at best probably below average pass rusher that he was for most of his career um you know you can't be in a spot where that kills you right because you've you've invested so much um of your your cap space you know into relying on this player that really only has maybe a half season of of quality high end production, right? So, um, I think yeah, you you want to be aware of giving him too much money and and kind of being seduced by that last half of the season performance that he had last season. Um, but but certainly if he's very cheap, like that could be yeah, like that's kind of like a why not take a swing at, at a young player who has at least shown flashes and maybe you know who knows like maybe something clicked for him finally this last season, right, that, that he can, um, you know, kind of hang on to and is is legit real improvement um, as a player. But, you know, look, you, you should be a little skeptical for a guy that didn't do a whole lot for four and a half seasons and then finally kind of, you know, showed out for a few games. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. But there's also the interior of the defensive line. And here, what the Niners need is maybe some guys who can stay healthy. But I don't know that this is that this is an area where you're going to spend a ton of money because I think that most of the guys at this position in the market are kind of old or they've been franchised. 
like there's not a lot of I think real value here. I think some of the value is maybe in re-signing some of the players that the Niners already know. It, it, DJ Jones, Kevin Givens. I don't know that I would put Solomon Thomas in this bucket just because I think someone might pay for that pedigree. And he, like he wasn't really super effective when he was 100% healthy. Now coming off of an ACL, I don't know exactly what he's going to to do much of anything, but I just feel like there's some idiot GM out there who's going to look at like former first round pick and pay a bunch of money for that. Um, and I just don't know that that should be the 49ers. And when you look at your nose tackle, like, cause really you're talking about backup three technique, your nose tackle plays somewhere between 300 and 600 snaps with it being more towards 600. If you, if you're a good pass rusher and don't really need to come off the field when, you know, it's third down or it's an obvious pass situation. So I think DJ Jones can fill that kind of nose tackle role. And then you're really thinking of like backup versatile defensive linemen. And I feel like that's the kind of duct tape area where you can just churn and burn players because, you know, you, you found them before you can find them again. Yeah, I, I think the Solomon Thomas thing is is interesting because, yeah, of course, if there's a team that's willing to give him any significant amount of money, um, you need to let him him walk and let him take that. But I don't know, like, I don't think there was a whole lot of shine on Solomon Thomas to begin with. And whatever was there is certainly worn off. It, it feels like like I don't know who's looking at Solomon Thomas and what he's been able to do, um, you know, since he's coming in the league. And obviously, like as a human, he seems uh, incredible. And he's obviously been through a lot during his time in the NFL that, that would make it difficult for um, anyone to kind of perform at the top of whatever the fuck they're trying to do. Um, and, and so he certainly had some odds stacked against him there. And, and, but I just don't know like who's looking at his on-field performance and and seeing much of anything there um, that you're willing to kind of splurge on and, and give him and, and kind of overpay to get Solomon Thomas, right? So I, I, I do think actually like I could see him coming back because he's like, you know, he wants to be in that area. He's been in the Bay Area for obviously a while and and like... Um, he seems to have a good relationship with the the team and the front office and, and everybody seems to kind of be rooting for him because he's, uh, you know, such a good person. And, and so I could see him coming back just for super cheap and, and whether it's a one year deal or, you know, two year deal, whatever it is, like a, a short term contract for for barely above the minimum. And, and I think if you if you can get that, I would bring him back and I, and I would just kind of like see, you know, who knows, like, yeah. I, it's the barely above the minimum thing that that I think is interesting. I, I don't know that he's going to be necessarily barely above the minimum, but I think if you can get him for like two and a half, three million, sure. Um, I I just you know even at five million, that starts to feel a little a little dicey. Yeah, that's um, that's certainly like that's too much. Yeah, I, I think like you're talking a couple million a year. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. no one else really that like if you're talking about someone new, no one else in this bucket really excites me either. You've got Jarrell Casey. Um, who's going to be 31. You know, he's kind of more of the big guy in the middle who kind of clogs the interior. Kwan Short, similarly speaking, like 32 years old. Um, his best days are maybe behind him, but he's, you know, a, a bit of a veteran presence along the interior. The only other player that I thought could be interesting is Roy Robertson Harris, whom, hyphenated name aside, is 27, almost 28. Uh, he has that, you know, kind of DeForest Buckner profile, really tall, 6'7", 295. He's only played on average 338 snaps a year, but he's played behind a good defensive line, hasn't got a ton of opportunity, but when he has had opportunity, he's played well and injuries cut his 2020 a bit short. So he might be someone that you could get in terms of value as maybe a backup three technique that sometimes moves out a little farther and rushes. If you're looking to recapture some of that DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, kind of two big guys magic, he might be someone to look at coming from Chicago uh, is where he played. So, but, but even then, you know, there, there's just similarly not a ton here. Um, and, and I think when you combine that with the fact that the Niners already have, that this is one of their um, most talented positions already. Yep. I, I would be, it would be interesting to see them add a bunch more resources to this, given that they are resource starved at cornerback and potentially offensive line. Right. Yeah. I, I just, especially along the interior, I can't see them. It, it, it just would be such a, a poor use of the available resources, I think, to, to spend any significant amount of money um, on, on the interior defensive line. Like I, I, at some point, right, you need to um, 
kind of <laughs> like prioritize some of these other positions where you just don't have guys and you just need to like punt it to the draft. And, you know, you need to be, you're, you're not going to be able to fill every single hole that you have on this 53 man roster with, you know, an ideal player that that's going to come in and fit, um, you know, well, and, and be a quality player. Like you're going to have to bring in some guys, you know, for very cheap contracts, you know, at the, the kind of end of free agency, and you're going to have to rely on some draft picks probably like you're going to have to probably add, uh, you know, a couple players, uh, at some of those spots, in, in the draft and, and get those cheap rookie contracts in there. And, and that's going to be how you're going to have to fill out some of these, these holes, because yeah, I, I think Ed rusher, we know like it, even though I, that's not where I would go, you know, uh, with, with kind of my higher priced free agent contract, if I'm going to have one or two of those, um, we, we obviously can see why the 49ers would go that direction. I think, and, and that's fine. At least it's a, you know, a, a premium position where that guy can have, um, you know, a, a reasonable impact on the ability of your defense, right? So I, I would rather see it there. The interior, you just can't do it. You got to bring back some of your guys for cheap, go to the draft, like do whatever you need to do to just kind of get bodies in there. I think, you know, we mentioned him during the edge um, portion, but like Ronald Blair is another one that if you bring back Ronald Blair, like he has versatility to play on the inside a little bit too, if you need to, right? So I think you get some guys like that, um, back there to kind of fill out the bottom of that depth chart at, at defensive line. And, and just, um, you know, at, at some point you got to hope that the guys at the top of the depth chart stay fucking healthy. Yeah. The only thing with, with Ronnie Blair, I worry about is just the, the severity of his injury, um, and, and coming back from that injury, what his, cause he was injured in the middle of the season. And whenever you have you know, kind of a year long injury, we always think like, Oh, it's the new season. So maybe he'll be back. But it, like a, a year from November is still a fair ways into the season. And, yeah. and so it, it's like, it's one of those things where, and I forget exactly when he was injured. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's just, it's one of those things where if, if really what you're banking on is health, you know, you, you may want to think about having at least a backup plan. If Ronald Blair is not able to, uh, to come back and, and be at immediate form right away. Cause that's the other thing too, is there's likely a ramp up with the number of snaps and how he plays it's not just like an instant plug and play the moment he's cleared to return from injury. Yeah. And it, it does look like, so it was, he, he was on, um, but he had, uh, also I'm realizing that this is, uh, a super old article cause he had the complications with his recovery. Right. So we're, yeah. we're going on like a season and a half ish without Blair. Cause he went on injured reserve initially November of 2019 um, expected to be back last season, had complications with his recovery, I believe, and then missed all. Yeah, because it was season. a it was a torn ACL, right? When he was trying to chase down Russell Wilson. Um, and, yeah, and which is is uh goes to show that like so the article that I'm reading too um is about him running after four months from that ACL injury. Maybe he shouldn't have run. Maybe after he four shouldn't months have been. Is what I'm saying. That. I don't know. Don't don't push it. Is what I'm saying. But yeah, I just I just think that that at that point you begin to get into Jarek McKinnon territory where you don't bank on Ronald Blair coming back and being the guy that he was. You hope that he does. Yep. But that means the Niners need another kind of presence on the edge. And whether that is a, a player like, you know, that like maybe Dramontre Moore that you kind of find that is, that plays well, you know, that's, that's the kind of player that maybe you're looking for. And that's where I think maybe you take a swing um, even if you sign Ronald Blair, you sign him for for super cheap. Now you still have now he's the guy who comes in at the minimum, and then you go like uh, after uh, an Aquara because that's that's going to be your swing, and that's like you've got a bit of hedge there. That's ultimately where I think they probably should go. I think counting yeah. on Ronald Blair at this point, you you hope it works out, sure, but yeah, but you fair. don't know. You don't know. Incidentally, speaking about Aquara, last thing before we get into what we would do in our offseason plan. Uh, is when you look at his mock draftable for players that he compares to, mm-hmm. uh, Demontre Moore, eighty percent comp in terms of his athletic profile, uh, and a lot of other people that I don't uh, recognize. Uh, one guy <laughs> named uh, Lyndon Trail from Norfolk State. Nope, I, no. no idea, no clue, no clue who that guy is. But yeah, interestingly enough, they they share an athletic profile. And Demontre Moore, you know, is a, is a favorite of this podcast, but. Um, all right, David. So what, what would you do then? Well, you know, we've talked about positions of need. We've talked about defensive back. We've talked about offensive line. We've talked about defensive line. 
given what the Niners have at their disposal in terms of cap dollars um, and given where their strengths and, and weaknesses are, if you're the GM speaking just solely about free agency, what would you do? So I think, you know, you start with the, the moves we talked about at the top of this show, right? I, I think you got to figure out something, what you're going to do with, with D Ford and Western Richburg. Um, I, I would try, I think, I mean, the Fortnite's have been so good at these restructures um, most of the time. I mean, I think there, there are a couple examples there recently that haven't um, been ideal. Richburg um, among them, but I, I think generally they find a way to get some pretty team-friendly um, you know, numbers in some of those restructures. So I, I would try to find a way to keep Ford around. And like, yes, maybe, maybe he never sees the field. Maybe he doesn't have near the impact, but like, I don't know. It, I, it just seems like that is maybe a, a path of least resistance there. Like, the, so he's your new get. Jason Verrett. Ish, yeah, I guess, kind of. But like, but like, he had he had actual high play most recently. So like, yeah. you, you you take his overall salary down, but but yeah, but he's the guy that like you you don't bank on him being there, but right. you hope he does. Yeah, you you have to 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 very very significantly cut into that twenty million cap hit, um, but yeah, I I think if you can figure that out and and you know he hopefully is is kind of you know amenable to something like that because of the way things have gone since he's been traded and he's got to know that he doesn't have uh you know a strong market and his best shot is probably staying with the 49ers on some, you know, even if it's only for another season, um, playing with a talented group that they have putting up, you know, some good production and then, you know, trying to go get another big deal or if that's what he's looking for or whatever. Um, but, but I think you figure something like that out, you get, you, you cut ties with Richburg and you free up that space. Um, and then, and then from there, I think you're looking again, Trent Williams, we said at the top of that show, like he has to be priority number one. Um, it, it ha- you have to figure out a way to get that fucking done. Um, because if suddenly you don't have a left tackle, um, you're, you're in, in for some issues. You're, you're in for a kind of a world of hurt there. Um, that even though, yes, there may be some options and you're going to have to obviously figure up, uh, some sort of backup plan where that's going with, um, somebody like Taylor Moton, um, is, is a backup free agent option, or you start looking at, at that number 12 overall pick in the draft for a left tackle. But, um, things, get dicey if you don't figure out a way to sign Trent Williams. So I think it starts there. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm like thinking of two different scenarios in my head, right? One scenario is, is yes, you you're of structuring it in terms of priorities. And then what happens once you get that out of the way for me, your priority is Trent Williams signing Jason Verrett and then signing a nickel corner. And I've got sweet eyes for Mike Hilton. I think you get a little younger at this position and, and you let K1 Williams walk and, and maybe you don't get a comp pick for K1 Williams because you're signing Mike Hilton. And so those kind of cancel out. But I, I think the Niners can afford to get younger at this position and also get some value because the overall market for nickel cornerback is undervalued. So I think you might be able to get better here and not have to actually spend more money. And, and so now you're talking about, you know, you've got a starting corner, you've got a starting nickel. Uh, and you've got Emmanuel Mosley re-signed because he's a restricted free agent. So you, you know, if you want him back, you can have him back. And then you get Trent Williams signed, and that's kind of your your first wave. And after that, I think you know the the likely the what are the Niners likely to do? They're likely to go after Alex Mack, and then sign DJ Jones and someone like Kevin Givens, and that might round out them. And then you know, kind of filter in the Solomon Thomases and stuff like that around there. And that's what rounds everything out. I'm trying to find a way to fit Hassan Reddick into this plan. So this I, was, I, I was going to bring this up, right? Um, as, as you were talking about Mike Hilton. So I think, so if we assume for a second, they figure out a way to get it done with Trent Williams and, and, and you get that there, right? We, we can assume that his average, you know, value on that contract is going to be north of 20 million, but hopefully they figure out a way to get that, you know, at least down, a decent amount into say yeah, like, and, I don't know, and tw- I think 10, 12 million or so in year one. I think what they'll do is, is I think they'll structure the deal as a three-year deal with two voidable years. And, and I think what they'll do is they will make his, his cap number really low in year one, 
but they're probably going to have to put a bunch of it into an actual signing bonus that they amortize over the five year, you know, apparent years of the deal. But it's really going to be like a heavily backloaded two year deal where, you know, maybe as much as 10 million of that is going to be a dead money cap hit that happens after year three. And, and that's how you still get him the cash. But, you know, you're basically pushing that hit into the future when the salary cap gets a bit bigger. So it's certainly possible even with their situation right now to do it. And that's what I think will happen um, just based on his age and the fact that I think a three-year deal makes a bunch of sense. So if if we get, so I think, yeah, somewhere in the low teens seems right for where they can get his cap figure. Because, yeah, so say, so like right now when you look at it guaranteed money, um, among left tackles right now ronnie stanley is far and away the the top guy in terms of guaranteed so he's got 64 million fully guaranteed um i don't know what the the difference in for over the cap purposes right now um between their total guaranteed and fully guaranteed i guess probably some injury guarantees or in whatever else but somewhere in the the 60 to 70 million dollar in guarantees for for ronnie stanley right now and then it falls off a good amount so if we say like I don't know, um, conservatively that, that Trent Williams gets because he's a little bit older, 60 million guaranteed. And they spread that over five years, that's 12 million. And then you put a very small base salary on that. So yeah, you can probably get 12, 13 ish million for his cap figure for this year. And so I think that leaves you, you know, probably one or two other like decent mid price guys that you can bring in. And, and from there, I think, yeah, like I would argue that somebody like Mike Hilton makes their defense better next year than somebody like Hassan Reddick and Hassan Reddick's going to cost twice as much, but because of the, because of what they're missing, right. And it's not that Mike Hilton is necessarily a better player than Hassan Reddick. I'm I'm not saying that, but they don't have any fucking cornerbacks (laughs) and they at least have some decent defensive linemen, right? So I, I think agree. there's an argument there that, that, I, that I don't, signing Mike Hilton for much cheaper actually makes your defense better than going after Reddick. I think there's there's a clear argument there because the the other thing too is that you also have to worry about what happens if each one, if if these guys get injured and, and what you're playing and what you're paying for on a per snap basis. I, I mean, if you're paying like K1 Williams, I think is and was one of the most valuable contracts that the Niners signed in large part because of the number of snaps he played and what he did for the defense, what he contributed to wins on the field. Two, two things tug at me, right? One is, I know the Niners don't necessarily think that way. So they, they may go after that defensive lineman just because they, they are under the impression that the defensive lineman is going to help them do that more so than, than not. And that's not something we're going to change with the way that they think. It's just the way that they think, right? Um, the other, though, is that I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too, David. This is my <laughs> hypothetical world. And in my hypothetical world, I can sign whomever the fuck I want. Uh, and Prag Marate is going to figure it out because that's what he does. And so I'm trying to find a way sure. to get like, yeah. like my perfect free agent plan. I'm a GM. I'm going to Steve Jobs this shit. I'm going to say, you told me that it's going to take you two weeks. It's going to take you two days. Figure it out. And, and they're going to figure it out. And they're going to sign Williams. They're going to sign Verrett. They're going to sign Mike Hilton uh, or maybe even like Desmond King, right? Like, Maybe you, you go with Desmond King, younger guy. Maybe you get some value because of injuries. Um, and, and then in addition to that, you also get Hassan Reddick. Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, the problem, the and- problem too, though, in, in all this is that Alex Mack, you know, I kind of threw him in there as an afterthought. But if you think Alex Mack's going to get $5 million, well, that's your nickel corner. Like, that's yeah. like that, that, that. It could be the, the choice between someone like a Mike Hilton or Alex Mack. Yeah, and and I think that's the toughest spot to figure out, right? Is is what to do at interior offensive line, and and um, again, like we mentioned when we were doing that, we we certainly haven't gotten to draft prospects and and kind of what um, that class looks like along the interior this year. I think it would be uh, nice if you're able to get a rookie that you feel you know solid about um, to to fill in one of those spots, but you know who knows if that's going to happen, and, and I know that. You know, you you can't bank on getting the guy that you want, you know, in the draft at the right spot that's going to come in and be a starter for you at center or whatever. Um, and and fuck, I hope they're not taking a center right with the twelfth overall pick or something stupid like that. So, 
yeah, I, I think that's the the toughest spot for them to figure out because yeah, I, I do think they at least have options like at corner, like we mentioned, um, you know, Hilton was certainly a guy that we we really loved, but they have options to to get a quality nickel in there. Um, you know, they they have uh, I think some options that are decent to get you know at least competent players on the outside, um, and, and so like that's where I'm going. I just don't see a great path to filling those interior offensive line spots through free agency. I, I think like. I would lean towards just kind of trying to to avoid it, like in free agency, and and look to the draft, look to my internal guys that can maybe fill that. Like, I just don't know that that money spent there in this free agency period is going to be money well spent. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at how many players they've got to to sign along the defensive line, though, and that's ultimately what worries me is you think about the average number of players they've got to, they they generally carry into a season. You're looking at somewhere between nine and eleven players. So then the sweet spot's 10, which which makes sense. Then all of a sudden, I mean, you, you're sure things are Bosa, Kinlaw, Eric Armstead. And and let's go ahead and give uh, Kevin Givens some love there. And, and maybe like a Jordan Willis. You still have five other players to sign with maybe a combined total of like $10 million. Yeah, I mean, you're getting, again, D-line, you need your rookies in there. You're going to get some late-round rookies. You're going to get some undrafted guys in there. Um, because yeah. what? You probably have five cornerbacks that you have to fucking sign. Like, who? Do, yeah. Like they they have no cornerbacks right now so, other than maybe Mosley, um, you know, that, that can be considered somebody that you would ever want to see out on the field. We haven't, we haven't talked about draft stuff a bunch yet because you got to wait to see what happens in free agency, and then we still have a, a bunch of scouting to do for the draft prospects. But... If just in general, in terms of positions, based on what you know about translation of performance from college to pros, what would you rather sign a known quantity at corner and draft defensive line or the inverse? Would you rather sign a known quantity at defensive line and draft a corner? I mean, in a in a vacuum, I would rather sign the cornerback and draft the defensive lineman. Um, I agree. I agree. the The thing is, though, I think the Fournier's like at corner. I think they're going to have to do both. Like they're they're going to have to get guys in free agency, but they're not going to have the space to fully fill out that room with free agents. Like they're going to have to add guys in the draft too. Tim Harris would like a word. Okay, he he's not can here for fucking this Tim talk with my non-existent secretary. That's the importance that Tim fucking <laughs> Harris has right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, Tim Harris. I think there's just more valuable snaps on tape that in terms of volume of things that you can process and the volume of data that you have with the defensive lineman and what skills transfer to the NFL that it is not that any of this is necessarily a slam dunk to project or easy to project. But I think that there's just a little bit more consistency and performance between college and pro for a pass rusher or defensive lineman than there is for a corner. And and so that's why I would lean more towards drafting a defensive lineman and signing a corner, which, you know, if, if I can't have my cake and eat it too, damn it, David, and if I, if I have to give up Hassan Reddick, then yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with the Niners spending a first-round pick on a defensive end, on a speed rusher. If I'm signing a couple cornerbacks and spending a bit more money there, Oh, you're nodding your head. For listeners, you can't see it, but David is disgusted with that idea. I mean, and disgust, I'm, I'm disgust okay is it. a little strong. It's just like they they don't need to go. Like it, it it would just be frustrating to see that like their takeaway from how last season went is we need to go spend another first round pick on defensive line. Like yeah. They got right, like, and and was it as dominant as it dominant as it was during the Super Bowl run? Like, of course not. But they, they were not bad. Like the the pass rush was not the problem with the team last year, and the reason they didn't make the playoffs, right? Like, um, they were able to piece it together with with just kind of like replacement level players on the defensive line and with scheme, right? And and so I think like. It would be it, it just would be nice if their takeaway was like, hey, OK, we're going to get some of our guys back. And that's great. We, we like having these kind of like blue chip players there, but we don't need to go and get another first round fucking defensive end in order to have a quality pass rush. Like we can still piece it together, getting Bosa back. We're hoping for, you know, some some development from Kinlaw here. Um, 
and and that's going to give us like enough to get the like our talent level is going to increase significantly just by purely adding Bosa back into the mix and and we can still get it done from a pass rush standpoint and and use that first round pick on something else that they need more desperately as I'm looking at the the depth chart currently uh, on our lads, I just I'm also struck by how in in our free agent plan right now we have no uh, we haven't resigned a fullback because yeah whatever but we still don't have a another tight end right there's still there's still a lot of other and even if you do want a fullback you're still gonna have to spend some money on that fullback maybe you spend you know like a million dollars on that fullback maybe Hokit comes back. Uh, and, so look and here. Let's role, let's but. let's let's get to this, right? So I think that's like, yeah, we 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 have a good idea of what we would do, and it's probably not going to be what the team does. Um, how much are they paying Juice? Let's just get it out there. They're they're going to bring him back, right? They're, there's almost no way they're not going to bring him back. I'll I be don't, shocked. If I they don't know, don't. man. I don't know. I I it, I I think that this is going to be a litmus test in my mind for the franchise because think think of a world in which they pay use check and trent williams and that's most of what they do yeah and then everything else is a replacement player or you do bank on tim harris maybe you sign like k1 to a lower money deal because he's a little bit older um like i i think that would be really tough for me to swallow i get it based on their thinking but i would certainly be watching how the rest of that defense performs um, when you can have other players at, at a position that is not fullback, I I think what his last contract was what twenty one million dollars. Yeah, some, it was it was like around five million a year. Yeah, yeah, I think five million is going to be. I think the Niners are probably not going to pay more than three and a half to four million a year, which is still a lot, but less than what he made on his previous deal. The only problem is I think New York tops it. So Maybe. I think they might get saved by New York paying him more money. But who wants Finally. to go to New York, right? Who wants to go to the fucking Jets? Anyway, I, I'm just I'm just trying to like this is just me mentally preparing for them bringing back juice um, and paying him any sum of money, which is too much money. It's you're emotionally girding. I get it. Yep. it it's a little bit like what happens when I see Timo Werner with a clear shot to goal, clear path. <laughs> And I know he's hitting the side of the net. You're just like, that's going the side of the net, right? I, I know it's, he's hitting the side of the net. I know that he's going to try and like jump up and karate kick the football and kick it right over the crossbar. I know it's not going to, I know it's not going to turn out for him. He, he, it's just not going to go well for him. I emotionally gird myself whenever Werner has the ball. <laughs> Similarly, when Pulisic gets 30 seconds of game time, you know, it hurts. It hurts me deep. I understand what that pain is like. You're just you're just emotionally girding yourself. I get it, David. It's okay. Yeah. So I'm just ready for them to. Um, I mean, I'm like I don't know. Maybe I should be preparing to not get Trent Williams, but I feel like they're going to figure out a way to get Trent Williams done. Yeah. They're going to bring back Juice. They're going to sign Alex Mack, and that's going to be what we do for free agency. Yeah. The it's really funny to to last thing we'll say here before we hit the outro is the the number of run it back Niners that people are really loving right now is really interesting. Like Alden Smith, Alex Smith. Like it's like, oh, that's like it would be a feel good story to run them back and, and, and have them come back to the Niners. It's like they should have traded for Trent Brown, Brown right? Screw Trent Williams. Yeah. Bring back uh, Trent Brown. Yeah, uh, I, I think those are great stories. Uh, I don't think that the Niners are going to be anywhere near uh, those players. Uh, although Alex Smith did have a really interesting article on, uh, or not article, he had a video on, maybe it was GQ, where he creates a Twitter account and a Reddit account and a YouTube account and responds to comments, like as himself. And he actually edits a Wikipedia page too. Uh, <laughs> and he like describes what his leg being broken felt like. It's, it's, it's a really good, it's a good video. I would recommend it. That's, that's where we'll leave you. Things that you should take away from this episode, dear listeners. One. Become a Chelsea football fan. Trust me, it's great. Two, <laughs> go listen to Silk Sonic, Bruno Mars, Anderson Pac. They're amazing. Three, go listen to Corey Wong, Corey and the Wong Notes. If you're more of a YouTube person, he's got a YouTube series debuting his songs. The one on Rhythm is really nice. The one on Cool, also very nice. Uh, go do those things. They will bring you joy. You will be fun. You will have fun. 
You'll be interesting. Because you'll have things to talk about at dinner free parties. agency will not be fun and it will because not bring Because figuring out how much you're going to pay use check and how much David is going to explode on this pod if they sign him for $20 million or more. No, nah, man. It's not happening. We did it once. <laughs> we did it once. Turn a new leaf. You know, we're just going to we're going to we're going to gloss right over it. We're going to move on. Oh, my goodness. Uh, all right. Last thing before we go, uh, just because it, it's been fun. It's been real fun. Uh, what was the best thing that you drank this week? Best thing that I drank this week? I um, I mean, there's really only like two real contenders, um, which is what I'm drinking now, which is uh, a, a beer by St. Arnold called Fancy Lawnmower, um, which, of course, you had. It's a delicious um, beer which is, is very delicious. And then, um, the other one was, uh, which I'm already forgetting, uh, another Texas brewery, they're kind of spring seasonal, um, a lager of some sort. And I actually think, and that was really good. I think I'm going to go with that one. I think it was from, uh, Carbach brewery. Oh yeah. The, which one was that? It wasn't, uh, no, love streets of Kolsch. Um, Oh, well, I forget. I'll remember yep. at some point. I, I'm, I always forget something on every episode, but all right. That's good to know. I'll see if that's I can queue up some beers to drink. Thanks again to everyone who's tuned in this week to the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, we're going to start up some Patreon videos here pretty soon. We've taken a little time off, but we're going to hit you with them free agency videos uh, once we get back in the swing of things. Yeah, man. Uh, we've, we've got free agency. Um, so this will be, again, our last podcast before the, the new league year starts and free agency gets underway. And so the next time that you hear from us, um, we'll hopefully have some actual concrete news um, to share. And we can start talking about some actual moves. And then, you know, the Patreon is going to get back underway and we can start looking at some actual clips and, and looking uh, and breaking down some video from the newest 49ers, right, that they, they choose to bring back. And so um, patreon.com slash better rivals is going to be where you can find that. Buy some beer. Stuff is, is coming soon. And if the Niners don't have an, an immediate signing right away, maybe they're not going to be super active in the first wave of free agency. That's fine. Uh, we might even have a video queued up to go ahead and, and debut the first week of free agency. Uh, maybe one of the players the Niners should resign from their own team. We'll let you maybe guess which one of those are. But check up on the Patreon. Become a subscriber. Buy us a beer. Follow me on Twitter. Do all the things. Thanks again for tuning in this week. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>